Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. We're in a sermon series called The Answer. And, uh, you know, I guess if you don't answer, dads think it's a good idea to dress babies in garbage bags. And yeah. <laughs> uh, You know what? It's a, it's a good thing that we're talking about answer. Um, that being said, I, I, I just wanted to give you an old joke here. I normally start with something funny, so or try to make it funny. Let me see if this one's any good. If April showers bring May flowers, since we're there, what do May, fro- what do May flowers bring? Wow, you all knew that joke. Wow. All right, all right, all right. Since you all knew my joke that Mayflowers bring, bring pilgrims, I want to ask you, did, uh, did you hear the joke about deja vu? Did you hear the joke about deja vu? <laughs> anyway. Uh, have, you ever been, uh, have you ever been blessed because you answered? You know, sometimes you don't answer and you miss out. But have you ever been blessed because you answered? Um, You know, years ago, years ago, back, oh my goodness, it had to be like 99 or 2000, something like that. I got my first cell phone. It was probably 2000 I got my first one. It was like that big, you know? You all know what I'm talking about? It like needed a briefcase to carry. It was a huge cell phone. And my plan, I remember I got a plan for 10 minutes a month. And you know why I got it? I didn't get it because I had to be important because I only had 10 minutes a month. I was too cheap to pay anymore. But I had had times recently where I'd driven across Cleveland to go to the Cleveland Clinic to visit somebody in the hospital. An emergency happened, and I drove all the way back home only to find out that an emergency happened, and I had to go all the way back to Cleveland Clinic. So my wife said, wouldn't it be good if we just gave you a cell phone since they're available, and if something emergency happens, you've got 10 minutes a month for us to reach you and say, hey, so-and-so's in such-and-such hospital. Wouldn't that be better? And I said, sure, that's a great idea. So it is my first day to carry my new phone. Very first day to carry my phone. And I'm going to a pastor's gathering at, uh, actually it was in downtown Cleveland, and uh, it was from the north, the whole um, um, area of Northeast Ohio. We're all invited to this gathering, and it was held at a, 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 a church down there, and there were all these pastors gathered around. And actually at that moment, the, the time, it was the head of the uh, National Association of Evangelicals was speaking. So we're talking a big deal guy is speaking, and I'm there with my new 15-pound cell phone in my pocket, and about two and half hours into the event, I get a phone call. Now, I didn't know how to silence back in the day. It was ring, ring, ring. Well, you know, my first phone call, I'm going to, this is my first phone call ever. And I pick up my, my honking huge phone. I flip it open and I get up and I'm walking out and the guy up front says, tell your wife we said hi. Of course, she was the only one that had the number, so yeah. So anyway, I'm walking out, and my wife says to me, she says, I I had somebody drop by, and they asked us if you wanted tickets to the Indians game tonight. And I'm like, you called me for tickets to the Indians game. 
And she said, but they're not any regular tickets. They're at that whatever club level or loge level, whatever it is, where they had, come on, this is back in the day where all the food you can eat. I'm not talking about hot dogs and french fries. I'm talking about stir fry. Does anybody, anybody ever eat there? You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, I was like... Oh, and I left gaining 15 pounds that night, and I am glad I answered that call. That call was worth answering, right? And that's what I want to talk to you about today is um, there are some calls that are worth answering. Um, if you're here today and a friend brought you, thanks for answering and for responding. I'm glad you were uh, responsive. I'm glad you answered and hope it's worth your time here. And uh, this sermon series, we've been talking about how it's our responsibility to answer when God calls. And if, you know, you do get that phone call and you do get special tickets for tonight, I just want you to know you can leave and I'm going to give you the, the core of the message in one sentence right here. You ready? Here it is. Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. That's really what I want to talk to you about today is the fact that Jesus is inviting you into a relationship with him. Now, we believe around here that God did speak to us, not only uh, God spoke to us through his son Jesus, but God also spoke to us through uh, the scriptures. He inspired some guys to write things down in the Bible, and those things that were written down, well, they, it wasn't the Bible to them, it was some letters they wrote, and they were inspired by God, and those words have meaning that are not just from uh, one guy to another, or one guy to a church or one person to another. But these words are inspired. They, they have the breath of God in them and they speak to us even today when we will read them because they're inspired by God. That's why we honor the scriptures and we believe that the breath of God is in them. So one of the things we like to do around here when we read a passage, when we read something from the scriptures, we like to honor it and to say, you know, we honor um, these words that God spoke to us through these men a long time ago. And I would ask you to join us in honoring by standing your feet with me today, and we're going to read together. We're going to read it out loud. Y'all ready for this? Mm-hmm. All right, here we go. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So uh, this has been our, our verse throughout this entire sermon series that Jesus says he's standing at the door and he's knocking. And if you hear and you open this door, whatever this door is, it's a metaphor for the door of your heart and your life. And he says, I will come in. I'll step into your life. And we will... Yeah, and I'm going to beat you up and tell you how horrible you are. Is that what he says? What does it say? We're going to do what? We're going to eat together. Don't you like it when you and your friends eat together? I especially. I had some people over at my house the other day. We ate, man. Come on. I, I needed to die the next day because we eat and we ate together as friends. So we talked and we had a good time. And what Jesus is offering to you is he's standing at the door today and he's knocking and he's saying, Let's be friends. Let's hang out together. And that's the core of the message. That's what I'd like us to take away. So I'd like to pray for this message I'd like to share with you, these thoughts. Jesus, I pray that today you would speak and that we would listen. Uh, I'm not arrogant enough to think that I can really talk for you. So I'm going to talk some of the things that I think you would want to say to these wonderful people. 
And I'm going to ask you to fill it with your Holy Spirit, and you talk to people. You talk to their hearts. And God, I pray that the scriptures we use and the stories we use would uh, open up the door so that their hearts would be open to the friendship you offer to them. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Amen. Now, before you're seated, I'd like you to turn to somebody and give them a big smile because they've been grumpy all morning long and somebody needs to be nice to them. Tell them, hey, you look good. It's good to see you. Come on, give them a big smile. If you're online, there's your smile. I'm so glad you're here today. Now, each of us have a door in our hearts. All of us have a door. We'll call it a door in our hearts. And what Jesus is doing is he's knocking on the door. Now, Jesus is a gentleman, so he's not knocking on the door like this. Hey, open up that door. Anybody ever deal with... No, yeah. One time when I had a teenager. You open that door. No, so, sorry. But I thought you were a pastor. Yeah, I'm a man. <laughs> Enough said. Anyway. We have a choice. The, the choice you have is, do you ignore or do you open? Now, opening that door is a little scary, especially, you know, we've been told a lot of things about this culture, and we've been told a lot of things in the name of God that may or may not be true. And uh, when Jesus is standing at your door, what, what's he going to ask of me if I open the door of my heart to him? What's he going to ask? Is, you know, is he going to ask me to change all my ways? Is he going to ask me to give up my friends? Will I lose all my friends and I'll have to join a monastery and shave my head and what? Am I going to become some weirdo religious nut? Well, I don't know. If he did ask you to do that, it would probably be what's best for you, but we're, let's not go there. Let's just ask this. There's a, a certain amount of fear when we talk about Jesus wants to take control of your life. He wants you to open up his heart. He wants to be your friend. He wants to give you direction for your life. There's some fear that goes along with that. To open the door, though, you have to deal with that fear. Now, there's a story I, I read years ago about a guy who, um, he was an Arab chief, and he tells a story about a, a spy that was captured and sentenced to death by a general in the Persian army. Now, the general had a strange custom of giving condemned criminals a choice. Now, they were condemned to die, and he said, you can either go face the firing squad, or you can walk down this long hallway and at the end of it is a black door, the big black door. And if you open up the big black door at the end of the hallway, you'll get whatever waits on the other side. And uh, the, the, the Arab chief is watching this, um, this guy stand there. He's condemned to die. He's going to go face the firing squad. He looks down the hallway at the door and he says, uh, I'll take the firing squad. A couple minutes later, bang, he's dead. And the Arab chief asked the, the Persian general, he said, what's on the other side of the door? He said, freedom. But most people will choose the known over the fear of the unknown because it's a big black door. And, and I think that's the way it is with us sometimes. Sometimes God offers us really, really good things and we choose our known death and our known garbage rather than the freedom he offers us if we would step into it and answer his knock. So one, one other thing I want to say about Jesus knocking at the door, my wife taught me something, and that's that a good guest always brings something with them. 
They bring a gift with them, you know? If you invite me over to my house, my wife's going to make me ask you this question. It's going to be, you invite me over to your house, she's going to make me say, what can we bring? Right. We don't want to be the moochers. We want to show up at your door with something in our hands, right? What can we bring? Because a good guest doesn't just knock at their door, at your door, they bring something of value with them. And what I want to talk to you about today are the three gifts that Jesus brings to our door. And the first gift that he brings to your door is the gift of adventure. Now, when Jesus first started his public ministry, he was a nobody in the middle of nowhere. Come on, Galilee's nowhere. And he was a nobody. He had not done any miracles. He hadn't really done much public teaching. He was just a couple of weeks into this. And one day, he's walking by the lake, and he looks over, and he sees some guy, and he says to him, hey, come follow me. And the guy says, where are we going? Right? Come follow me. Well, where are we going to go? Isn't that a natural answer? Where are we going to go? And Jesus said something. It's in John chapter 1, verse 39. He says, come and you will see. Come and you will see. Now, a lot of us, we want to have the full plan all worked out before we ever take the first step, right? We're going to take a trip. I want to know where we're going, where we're staying, what we're going to do when we get there. And we want to have the whole trip planned out, so much so that we don't have any fun on the trip because we've got to be somewhere else next. But notice that Jesus didn't invite them into a plan that, into a path and a relationship that they had all figured out from the beginning. And there are people that I talk to them all the time. Well, when I, when I see something, then I'll believe. Really? When you see something, you'll believe. That's baloney. You see all kinds of miracles all the time. You're just not paying attention. That's true. God's doing all kinds of miracles. You're just not paying attention. So Jesus does not invite you in to see and then follow me. He doesn't invite you into, oh, you have all the faith you need right now, follow me. He invites you into, let's do this together, and you will develop the faith that you need. You will see things. Do you think those disciples that day on the beach, watching this guy who was first week of teaching saying, come, and you will see. Do you think they really believed they would see people who had no eyeballs all of a sudden begin to see with eyeballs popping? In? You know, why Jesus spit on mud, make mud, and stick in his eyes? Because something was missing. He made them out of the dirt to begin with. Oh, I got to make some more spit and mud for this guy. And he put eye, mud in his eyes to give him stuff in his eyes he didn't have. Do you think they thought they would see a guy with no eyeballs see? Do you think they thought somebody that was born lame and for 40 years had been lame, never walked a day in their life, did you think they would see that guy get up and go dancing and running around? Did you think these guys thought they would see, you know, like, uh, I don't know, uh, people who had never spoken and couldn't hear anything? All of a sudden, Jesus would touch their ears and they could hear and they could speak. Do you think they really thought they would see 5,000 men plus their women and children be fed by a couple of loaves and fishes? Do you think those disciples, when he said, come and you will see, they knew what they were going to see? No, Jesus invited them into an adventure. He invited them into something that was going to be fun. He invited them into something that they didn't fully understand. <laughs> uh, come on. My, my, wife, my wife and I, we, we did something last year. We did a thing. We have, we have Crow Ventures all the time. So my daughter, for, uh, for something, I forget what it was, we had, to, we had to go to Cedar Point one day. 
I, I don't like Cedar Point. I don't want to go to Cedar Point. But we had to go, so I did something. I did a thing. They had $99. It's like $55 to get in there once. It was $99 to buy a pass for the entire season. So I was like, I, all right, dear, here's your birthday present. <laughs> Cedar Point Pass. I don't want to do it, but we're doing it. So we bought Cedar Point Passes. So we go the first day and yeah, whatever. And then we go the second, because we had to. Second day we went, me and my wife went up there. And uh, we're, we're walking around the back, you know, we take a big long walk. We've been walking for about two hours and we go around back and, and uh, I, don't, I, I don't do a lot of roller coasters. My wife doesn't do any roller coasters anymore. And the reason she doesn't do roller coasters is because she'll tell you that one day we were at um, uh, Geauga Lake over there, we were on the Demon Drop and it got stuck and 20 minutes later it got fixed and they pushed it out like like this, you know, right when it's about to drop and it got stuck again and we sat there for 40 minutes not knowing at any moment when we were going to drop. <laughs> so we don't do a lot of roller coasters in my family. So we're on the backside of Cedar Point and we see this thing and my wife says, oh, that looks like the pirate ship. Y'all know the pirate ship, which simply goes back and forth, gives you a belly flop, you know. Y'all know what I'm talking about. All right, but it wasn't the pirate ship. It was about three times the height of the pirate ship, had one big tube hanging down, had a row of 12 seats here, a row of 12 seats there. Does anybody know that ride? Anybody? Yeah, yeah, so she says, we can do that. It looks like the pirate ship. So we go walking in line and she looks over and says, I wonder why this is rated a five on the thrill meter out of five. I think it's like the pirate ship, which is like a three. Come on. So we got on this thing and she gets in and we get in. They strap us down and like pull the seats down. And, and she's like, this is a little drastic. And I'm like, yeah, it's drastic. And then all of a sudden, whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. And I got the best belly flop I've ever got in my life because they don't drop you. They push you down. It's like, whoo, And I'm getting, I'm getting the adrenaline sweats, you know, because y'all know what I'm talking about. The adrenaline sweat and my whole body sweating. And I, ah! And I look, I look over at my wife and she's like. We get off of that thing and I'm like, oh, well, that was great. I got adrenaline sweats, puddles of sweat all over me. This is amazing. I look over at Robin, she says, I'm gonna kill you for letting me go on that thing. <laughs> and and that's, that, that's, that's our world, you know? It's, it's an adventure. We have crow ventures. We take off someplace and we wind up doing that. You know, or we take off down a back road and we wind up falling and finding a beautiful waterfall. Or, you know, we call them our crow ventures because they're a blast and we never know actually what we're going to get into when we start on a day. <sighs> love it. I love it. Adventures. And that's sort of how it is following Jesus. If you think you can figure out all that he has for you sitting in this room right here today, you don't know nothing, man. You don't know nothing. Right? Got to do that right. It, it's, it, God has an adventure for you. A life of faith that... I didn't know when I moved to Ohio that I would see... I'd see literally hundreds, if not thousands of people saved and their lives totally changed. I had no idea. A little kid growing up in Oklahoma, I'd be pastoring a church. The, yeah, I, the day I got saved in the church, I didn't think about that stuff. I had no idea that I would lay hands on a woman whose legs were going to be cut off the next day and, and, and she got healed and is still walking to this very day. I had no idea God was going to heal uh, Dave McNeely up there. You know, a guy with, with nerve damage in his feet so that he couldn't even feel his toes and now he can wiggle his toes and feel them. I didn't know God was going to save marriages and, and bring life into this. I, I had no idea when I started. 
in this walk of faith what it would look like. What do you need to do? You don't see it all. What do you do? You, you just open the door. And Jesus will say, come on. And you will see. One other thing. All right, so a couple years ago, I'm not sure my wife loves me because she bought me a Groupon. <laughs> a Groupon. Really cheap Groupon for skydiving. And she kept asking me if my life insurance was paid up. I'm just wondering. But anyway, so I went, I went there, and I don't know if you've ever skydived, but it goes something like this, all right? I'm a, I'm a little over six foot tall, and I weigh a little bit more than the guy that was behind me at five foot four at about buck 30. And, uh, and he tells me to put this, this jumpsuit on and to harness up, and then he takes me up to 14,000 feet, and he sets me in the door. I'm not sure if you've seen what it looks like, 14,000 feet looking out of a door of a plane. But uh, it's a long way down there. <laughs> and I'm sitting there looking down the door of the plane. I got my foot on the rails. And, and uh, this dude behind me says, okay, when, you, uh, when you're ready, just move forward. I'm like, hold on, dude. Did you check those harnesses? Are you harnessed to me? Did you clip me in? You know, I can't see him. Buck 30 dude sitting behind me. My life is in his hands. I can't see what he's doing. And I'm hanging out 14,000 feet looking at that, my friends, is the definition of faith. <laughs> and he says to me, it's time when, when you're ready, just lean forward. And I'm like, I hope I'm strapped in and I hope you know what you're doing, Mr. Groupon. Here we go. And I lean forward and, and I, I will tell you something. If you look at me, this is when I got out of the plane or when I got off the field where I landed and uh, I'm walking back over to my wife and you'll notice I got that Ooh, look on my face. That's because I, I didn't realize till 30, about 30, 45 minutes later when we were sitting down to eat that I got a belly flop jumping out of the plane and the sensations of what happened started hitting me like 40 minutes later. Because that's how it is with faith. When you go out of the plane, you've got no idea what's going to happen. All you know is that two, three, four months, five months. Listen, if you've decided to follow Jesus and it's not working the way that you thought it would, give yourself a couple of years to let Jesus show you what happened when you stepped through the door. Because it takes some time for these things to develop, for your faith to actually, for your feelings to actually catch up to the faith that you have. It takes time. You'll, you got questions? I got bigger questions than you. We can talk about them someday. I got big questions for God. And you know what? I've been walking with them now for about 40 years with these huge questions. And some of them have gotten bigger, but most of them have gotten smaller because he's proven himself faithful so many times. One, one final thing. Some men die by shrapnel and some go down in flames. But most men perish inch by inch and play at little games. Don't be that person. Second thing Jesus, gift Jesus brings is rest for your soul. So Jesus brings a second gift called the rest for your soul. It's a gift that we desperately need. Um, we're, in a, we're in a culture right now, people don't know how to rest. You've got no idea how to relax and how to let go of your tension and your stress and find rest for your soul. 
We just don't know how to do it. We're really good at sleeping, but we're really, really bad at resting. And Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Come unto me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your souls. So when Jesus knocks on your door, one of the gifts he has is rest for your souls. There's a weariness that we experience in this life. We can have disappointment with someone we love, a disillusionment that we don't live the life we thought we would. We can be disturbed with how we've been mistreated, abused, or taken for granted. We can have disdain for others because of oppression, war, hatred, violence. But worse than all that is discouragement at our own failures. Listen, I don't need to convince you you're a sinner. I ask you a very simple question. Have you ever said, I will never do that again, and you did it anyway? Have you said, I will never, or I will do this from now on. I will go to the gym. I make my membership. I make my pledge first of the year. I will go to the gym, and then you didn't. Anybody ever done those two things? Listen, you don't need God's law to convict you that you're a sinner. You're already convinced yourself that you don't even keep your rules. And if you don't keep your rules, how can you even keep God's rules? Let's forget that for a second. You don't even live up to your own expectations of yourself. So we have this problem. We have this discouragement that settles over our heart. And the discouragement is, is that I'm a failure and I, I can't do right. And I'm at war with myself, so there's no rest in my soul. We have have this crisis all over our culture. People are filled with anxiety and depression all over our culture because they don't like themselves because you promise yourself things you don't do. And then this guilt and this shame and this discouragement heaps upon you. And what I want to tell you is Jesus comes to the door. He offers you a gift. We heard about this gift last week, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. He has made you a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. God offers you in Jesus a new life, a new life. Not a reworked version of your old life, but a new life. And it, come on, we, we've all admitted it. I was reading yesterday, I was reading the scriptures and Paul, the great apostle Paul, wrote a letter in chapter 7 of Romans, he says, the good things I want to do, those are the things I don't want to, those are the things I do. Uh, The good things I want to do, those are the things I don't do. And the things I don't want to do, well, those are the things I keep doing. Come on, this is Paul that says, I can't even do the good I want to do. And the bad things I don't want to do, I find myself practicing that all the time. Come on, that is my autobiography. It's me. It's me. The bar is really, really low at Harvest Ridge. I, if God accepts the pastor here, he, trust me, you're all right. <laughs> and you look at me and say, well, you're the man of God. You don't know me. <laughs> Those who know me, they're not laughing. They're going, yep, yep. <laughs> because, listen, we're all sinners. We're all broken. We all have this... <sighs> Come on, even after I get saved, it's like yesterday I'm thinking thoughts and I'm like, God, where did that come from? I'm making threats. Maybe not to their face, but they're there. (laughs) Do you guys know what I'm talking about? 
And if God has made me a new creation, a new creation has come, I'm in trouble because, except this is not your a new creation once. This is, hold on, let me see. God was reconciling. Reconciling, there is a present active perfect. That means God continues to reconcile consistently. God just doesn't make you a new creation once a long time ago. He may, it, it's not last year you're a new creation or last month or last week or yesterday you're a new creation or even last hour you're a new creation or even last minute you're a new creation. But come on, not even last second you're a new creation. But his work is continually working in you, giving new life every moment. That even if you failed, he's reconciling you to him, not counting your sins against you. So the gift he brings is you don't have to live under that condemnation and that discouragement and that doubt because his mercies aren't just new every moment. They're new every second, every millisecond of the world. His faithfulness is here to reconcile you and give you life. So we don't have to live in that junk. You think, you're, you're telling me I don't know what I'm talking about. But I'm going to give you an illustration of a dad. The guy's name is Bob Goff. Bob Goff. I was listening to him talk, and he said he, uh, he found out his wife was going to have a little baby girl. So what did he do? He sat down and he wrote a note to his baby girl. And he said in this note, Hi, dear, I know you didn't mean to, but either by accident or... By you not paying attention, I know you wrecked the family car. And I want you to know, I forgive you, I love you, and it's going to be okay. Now hold on, the baby's not even born yet. He wrote this note, he folded it up, he put it in a mason jar, sealed it up, went out back in his yard, dug a hole in the ground, stuck the mason jar in it, and marked where it would be in the future. It took 18 years, but eventually... The prophecy came true. She wrecked the family car. And when Bob came home, he said, he saw his daughter, teary-faced and everything, and he looked over at her and said, here's your shovel. Go out in the backyard, go to such and such space, and dig. She didn't know what was going on. She went out there, she dug, she pulled up a mason jar, she opened it, and she read the letter that he wrote before she was ever born forgiving her of her sin, of her wrong, of her hurting the family. And I want you to know, before you were ever born, Christ Jesus died for you. He chose to reconcile you to him before you even thought about doing anything right or wrong. Don't undermine his freedom and his grace. The third thing, the third gift Jesus offers you is a full life. A full life. We're not really good at this one. The reason we're not very good at this one is I think our culture has convinced us that it's our right to live less than what God made us to be. Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that they may have life and have it, how? To the full, full life. What is a full life? Is it partying and pleasure? There are people that think that's what a full life is, partying and pleasure. Is it wealth or comfort? You know, I got all the money to go wherever I want to go, whenever, however, I can get anything I want. Is it popularity or fame? I can take you to people that have all three, all six of those things I mentioned. 
and they killed themselves because they had no purpose in life. So apparently, partying and pleasure, wealth and comfort, popularity and fame does not make you happy, and that's not what you're made for. You're made for something more than that. And I, can I say something to this crowd, and I want you to listen to me. Everybody listen. Everybody. Nudge the person next to you and tell them you've got to listen to them right now. You ready? Contrary to 21st century thought, life is more than sex and your genitals. I'm going to say it again. I think I will. Thank you, Oli. <laughs> Contrary to 21st century thought, life is more than sex and your genitals. I propose that a life that's worth living and a full life is one that's lived on purpose. There are abundant stories of people who live the perfect life and they're miserable. Miserable. I know some of them. And I think it's time for us to reclaim the age-old belief that it's better to die noble than to live without character. There is an age-old belief. It's been around for literally millennium. And it's that it's better to die noble than to live without character. It isn't about the length of life, but about the life in the length of time you have. We don't write news articles about couch potatoes and basement bums. You know, when's the last time you heard the inspiring story of Johnny, the couch potato and basement bum? It goes something like this. Y'all ready? Y'all ready? Johnny is the epitome of humanity. Today, he played Call of Duty for eight hours and binge-watched ten episodes of Friends while consuming three pizzas. Be like Johnny. <laughs> Do you know the Christian martyrs? They died in arenas. They died on crosses. They were beheaded. They were burned at the stake. How dare you tell me that they didn't live life to the full because they lived with character and intent rather than existing. They lived, they died, they changed the world. And Johnny, who's going to change his diaper when he gets old? There's more to life than your living. Christ offers you life to the full. You know, zombies are a real thing. Can I, can I borrow your phone? Can I borrow your phone? Yeah. Zombies are a real thing. Did you know that? You don't have to wait for the zombie apocalypse, you know? You don't. You don't. Zombies are already here. I see them all the time. <laughs> zombies exist. I see them everywhere I go. And I want to tell you that Jesus offers you something more than simply waking up in the morning, dreading your entire day until you go to sleep at night. He wants you to have purpose and life. And he wants you to make an impact on the world around you rather than simply existing and taking up space. It's no wonder we have a culture filled with anxiety and depression. 
We're anxious because we got no reason and we're afraid we're going to lose something we really don't even have. We're afraid we're going to lose something out of our life and you don't even have a life to begin with. You're afraid you're going to lose something that you don't possess. And Jesus offers you life. He's the, one, he's the one that gives you your breath, right? You don't possess your breath. If he wants you to die, you're dead. If he wants to take something away from you, it's gone. Right? I believe God is the sovereign of the universe. You, you did not control the day you were born. You're like me. I can't even control my own cholesterol, and I take pills and work out. <laughs> Come on. The doctor said to me, <laughs> said genetics is a bummer, isn't it? Why? There are things beyond our control, and we live our entire life pretending we control things we don't control, and we wonder why we live a life of anxiety all the time, trying to control things you can't control, when what Jesus said, come unto me, come and follow me, do it my way, and I will give you life, real life, the kind of life you'll tell your grandkids about. Sometimes it might cost you. His name is Arlen Dean Williams. He was a passenger aboard Air Florida Flight 90, leaving from Washington, D.C. on January 13, 1982. What happened was, it was a cold, snowy day. They didn't de-ice it properly. The plane took off out of the national airport, and as it's leaving, the, the, it couldn't stay afloat in the air, and it crashed into the 14th Street Bridge, killing six people on the, or, sorry, eight people on the bridge, and then it plunged in the icy Potomac River. Everybody on board died except five people at the back of the plane, uh, six people at the back of the plane. Six people at the back of the plane were there, and uh, the last portion broke off and their tail stayed afloat. And this guy named Arlen Dean Williams, who was a Citadel graduate, and when he went to the Citadel, he was always afraid of all the swimming tests because he was afraid of water and afraid to swim. And here he finds himself in the icy Potomac. This is a picture of him, but he's not the one being lifted out of the water. He gave the rope to her. He's not the one with the... the thing around his neck, he gave that to him. He's the one right there hanging on. And what happened was there were five people afloat with him, and they credit him, each one of them, with giving them their, his salvation devices that he caught himself and giving it to them, and they all survived and got on the helicopter. But the tail portion submerged and went under and took him with him and he died. I, I just wonder, was his sacrifice worth it? Did, would, you say, would you say William, Arlen Dean Williams lived? He gave life to five other people. Would you say he lived? Huh. But yet he died. It cost him, but yet he lived. And the problem I have with so many of us, listen to me, I wish I could get right there with you and tell you, you're all concerned about what you can't control. 
But God wants to give you a purpose in your life so that even if it's out of your control, you can truly live. And the best way you truly live is spreading life to all those around you. Don't be afraid. Some people die magnanimously like Arland. Some people live magnanimously like my dad. My dad was born the son of a sharecropper and he didn't know how to read. He taught himself, long story there, but he taught himself how to read when I was a kid. I remember watching him sit with the King James Bible on his lap, reading and mouthing words and looking them up in the dictionary to understand what he was reading. My dad worked in a factory. He was a repairman for 40 years at Whirlpool. That doesn't sound like a magnanimous life until you go back to Oklahoma and you find little boys like Bo. Bo was about that big when my dad started teaching him, started a Royal Ranger group so he could teach Bo and other boys like that. And I met Bo years ago and said, Bo said to me, he said, your dad's one of the greatest men I ever know. He taught me how to mow, how to handle a lawnmower without cutting my foot off. That's what he did. And he said, your dad was an amazing man. The reason I'm saved and the reason I have a family now and the reason my kids are growing up in church is because your dad. My mom and dad led two youth groups with literally hundreds of young people saved, dozens of people following Jesus in full-time ministry. Mom and dad, I remember waking up in the middle of the night and hearing them at the kitchen table. Come on, we lived in a 900-square-foot house. 812, actually, who lived in a little bitty house, and, and I could hear everything, and I could hear as a little kid, mom and dad sitting at 2 o'clock in the morning with a family that was having trouble, a husband and wife, helping them work through their issues, and they're still married to this day, that one I'm thinking of there. And there are others like that. There are dozens. Because my dad, he worked, but he also lived life to the full. And he lived life to the full, not by what he took out of the world, but what he invested back into it. My question to you is simple. Are you living life to the full? Because if you're just trying to take life and you're all concerned about what you're trying to get out of it rather than what you're giving to this world, you're not living to the full. It's time to stop simply being alive and start living. It's time to stop simply being alive and start living. So, all right. So don't be so afraid of losing something that isn't worth having that you lose something that is worth having. Jesus is standing at the door of your heart and he's knocking. I read an article about a guy uh, from the Boston Globe and he said he was walking out of his house and he looked down on the ground and he saw this piece of paper. And this piece of paper was on a post-it note and it was wadded up and was blowing across his, his uh, driveway and it says, I wouldn't change a thing, I love you. And he thought to himself, who needed to hear that message that didn't get it? It was wadded up and thrown on the ground and blowing in the garbage, and he didn't hear it. And what he said is he said, too many of us, we have these opportunities where there are messages like this we miss because we're all concerned with something else. And I want to just simply remind you today that Jesus is at the door of your heart, and he's knocking on it, and he's saying, hey, I got some gifts for you, and I want you to enter into full life. One final thing I want to read, it's from C.S. Lewis. And he said, C.S. Lewis proposed that a man's physical hunger doesn't guarantee he's going to get food. But if he's a man, he's probably eaten before, right? So a man's physical hunger doesn't 
guarantee that he will get food, but it does indicate that he inhabits a world where edible things exist, right? If you have a hunger, that means there's something to satisfy that hunger. And what he says is this. He says, our longings for significance and security and peace, and I'm going to say for life, indicate that we are wired to be able to experience those realities. But whether you experience them or not depends on whether or not you're willing to answer Jesus' knock. He wants to open up and be your friend. He's inviting you into a relationship with him. So I'm going to go old school here for just a second. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me around this room. Everybody just as an act of respect for those around you. And listen, I can't talk you into this. The Holy Spirit's probably dealing with you right now. And you're sitting there and your heart's a flutter and your stomach's got some knots in it. And you know God's talking to you. He's saying today is the day you need to open the door. If that's you, I want to give you an invitation right now. That's God talking to you. That's not me. That's God. He's inviting you into relationship with him. If that's you, I'd like you to raise your hand. I would like to pray with you, just me and you and God, just for a second. If you would like to open the door to Jesus and make him the Lord, yes. Are there others? Yes. Yes. Are there others? Yes. Give you one more chance. Yes. Yes. All right, this is what we're going to do. All right, you can look up at me now because we're all going to do this together. Let's do this out loud together, all of us, all right? You can look around. That's fine. We're all going to pray this together. Y'all ready? Everybody together because nobody prays alone at Harvest Ridge. Here it goes. You ready? Dear Jesus, I'm opening the door. Please come into my life. Be my friend and give me the gifts you promised. Help me to serve you. Be my Lord. I believe in you. Amen. Now, if you prayed that prayer, that may be the first prayer you've ever prayed to Jesus, but it ain't going to be the last one. Because you're going to start a conversation, you're going to yell at each other a little bit from here on, like, what are you doing? Those are appropriate conversations to have with God. And part of this relationship means that we have a body here where you belong. So uh, next week we've got, you know, Palm Sunday. It's Easter season. Next week's Palm Sunday. We've got an Easter egg hunt for your kids. So we invite you to come back next week. Bring somebody with you. Let's have some fun. Then we got Easter the following week. And you do that three weeks in a row, you might find out you actually belong here, which you do. So you're invited. You belong. You're part of the family. So what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to stand. So would you please stand and let's sing this final song as a... Uh...